Hello and welcome to my podcast, Growing Forward Together. My name is Kenita Skripsma and I'm the founder and CEO of SEMA Global Consulting. I'm also an international speaker and author and am passionate about leadership development and culture. So if you wanna know more about what we do, please feel free to go to my website, seemaglobalconsulting.com, and I would love for you to contact me through the contact page and uh, see if our company can serve you in any way. Well, today's podcast is about being still, because you know what? It's a jungle out there. You know, given the world that we live in currently, we have a global pandemic that is slowly but unsurely showing signs of clearing up. We have racism at an all-time high, fractured relationships, broken families, increase in domestic abuse, and the child trafficking stories that we're hearing are on the rise. So how do you find peace amidst all of that? How do you rest? How are you learning to be still? What does it look like in your story? I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my story and some things that I've learned along the way about how to be still. Now, it hasn't always been an easy journey for me, um, and especially during this pandemic, um, it feels like, and I think you can relate, that everything in our stories has been turned on its head. So the things that we felt were normal before or our typical routines weren't so much the case anymore. Or the things that, um, you know, didn't work for us maybe are the things that we're able to implement differently this time. But getting back to this, be still. What does that look like in your story? And um, you know, I just want you to be encouraged today and maybe find some new ways of being still and finding some clarity around what that looks like in your story. So as much as this is needed in all of our stories, it's kind of a funny one for me sometimes, and here's why. So if I was talking or writing about this several years ago, I wouldn't even know where to start about being still. And here's why. I had so many people in my life telling me how to be still, what to do during that time, and where to be still. This was problematic for me because I didn't agree with many of their ideas that they gave me. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not not teachable. <laughs> I am and just because I didn't like their ideas didn't mean I wasn't gonna try them. So the reason I didn't agree with many of their ideas was because I had tried them and I didn't like them. <laughs> they didn't quite work for me. I didn't get the peace that I was desiring, the calm, the stillness that my heart and soul needed. So, you know, I wanted to learn and I wanted to learn from other people because I figured there's gotta be someone out there that is able to understand being still in a way that I could learn from. And so I was also looking for doing it different in my life. So I just felt really unsettled about their ideas when they came to me and I couldn't figure out why. So I took a deeper dive into some things of my story to figure out what does being still look like in my story. You see, their ideas themselves weren't wrong or bad. They just weren't a good fit for me. In fact, some of their ideas would actually cause me more anxiety than peace. I'll share more on that later. So in this post, in this podcast, depending on if you're reading it or listening to it, I would like to share the how, what, and where to be still in a way that might help you discover for yourself, according to your wiring, what that looks like so that you can achieve the most peace and grounding. And by wiring, I mean your personality type, are you an introvert, an ambivert, an extrovert? What number are you on the Enneagram? If you've heard of that, it's a great test. 
the DISC personality test, and so on. I happen to be an extreme extrovert, and for those who know me are probably chuckling right now. You see, I'm energized by people almost to a fault. I'm also an eight on the Enneagram, which makes me a leader challenger. So, uh, sorry to tell you this, but leaders and challengers don't sit still very long. And my DISC profile shows up as an I slash D, which is influencer and dominant. I'm thankful that the influencer came up higher than dominant on that test. I have learned that this requires a lot of self-control and creativity to be still in spaces where my wiring wants to take over. I remember a friend years ago had said to me, wow, moss does not grow under Kanita's feet. You know, she was right. I was always on the go. And if not physically, then mentally, emotionally, creatively, always coming up with ideas. In fact, I would often tell people I'm a big ideas girl. So that's helpful to know that I'm a big ideas girl and I'm passionate about the details, but sometimes the details bog me down. So it's hard to be still and really pay attention. So being still, who's ready to do that? See, as a child, that phrase being still often showed up at parent teacher conferences where the teacher would tell my mom that Kanita has trouble being still in class. Yes, that left a scar and probably a trigger to the phrase for years on wanting to do it my way, wanting to learn how to figure out to figure out how to be still on my own. I didn't need a teacher to tell me how to do that. I needed to learn it for myself. And I'm sure I'm not alone for all you listeners out there. Well, here's to adulting. As I got older, being still became a pursuit of sorts in my daily routine, in my spiritual life, in my relationships in my heart and in my soul. I hear so many people say, oh, I just need to be still, but can't seem to do that. It made me wonder if they would benefit from understanding their wiring and hearing some new ways to do so. I know that helped me to understand my wiring, realizing that I'm, I'm an extrovert and I need to be with people to energize from that in order to get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter and then be still in spaces where I can allow the creativity to flow. And I've also learned that being still is not instant. It has to be cultivated over time, like a habit. So like I said earlier, we're in this pandemic and some of our habits have gone out the window. And one of the habits that has gone out the window for me is exercise. And again, I know I'm not alone. I'm hearing a lot of folks struggling with that as well. But this being still piece did not leave. I have continued my morning routine of getting up with my coffee and my journal and my Bible and just spending that time focusing, surrendering, confessing stuff that um, I've thought in my heart or my mind and just kind of allowing um, for me, it's a spiritual element, we're allowing God to just do his deep work in me and being still. So that's kind of non-negotiable in the morning. As the day goes on, when I find stressful moments, I continue to cultivate that. And sometimes being still for me is listening to music and just sitting on the couch quietly and maybe singing along with the song too. <laughs> but yes, being still, allowing that space to just center myself and be calm. So being still is learning to embrace a deep calm and stillness in your heart. You are able to experience it in other areas of your life as well once you do that. When I think of parenting and I think of all the situations we had where um, particular kids were out of line or acting out or um, being very challenging in those moments, 
um, how's that for sounding gracious towards my children? <laughs> um, I really needed to learn how to have a deep calm and stillness in my heart. I really needed to make sure that I wasn't reacting to their situations, but that I was responding. And so, you know, learning to embrace a deep calm and stillness in my heart, um, it really impacted how I parented. It impacted how I responded to my husband and not react. It helped me learn to respond to a lot of these things that we discussed earlier or that I shared earlier that have been going on in our world. And it doesn't mean those things will go away, but it means that I'm able to stay calm, catch my breath, and then be open to how I can respond in any particular situation. So perhaps you've already discovered ways of being still that work in your story. But I would like to continue to share how I've learned to embrace a deep calm from my narrative. And just to let you know, if you would like to send me an email about some ways that work in your story, I would love to hear from them. And, you know, maybe you end up on my podcast at some point and we can talk about what that looks like in your story and maybe some suggestions that you have might be encouraging to others as well. So let me answer it the what, the how, and the where of being still. And it'll all be kind of generally in this area. So because I like to approach things holistically, I need to consider being still physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So being still is a practice that calms our hearts to the core, and even though it impacts a variety of areas, it can be attained in different ways. And what I mean by that is sometimes if my head has full of ideas and I just don't have an outlet to put that out, maybe I'll go for a walk and listen to some music. Or maybe I'll go for a walk and talk to a friend on, the, on my phone. That way I'm engaging with a friend, but I'm also you know, addressing my physical need for a walk. And so I'm dealing with my phys physical, mental, and emotional spaces. So physically, I sit quiet with my hands open and my face up as a form of receiving and surrendering. I also physically rest by taking a nap and making sure I get the right amount of sleep every night during this pandemic. I have had way too much of this. <laughs> Okay, so mentally, I take an inventory of my thoughts, dumping the negative thoughts and replacing them with positive thoughts. I journal, journal, journal. I journal because it is a way to talk and get out of my head while helping me take every thought captive. Because when I see these thoughts that are in my head on paper, all of a sudden they don't look very realistic anymore. And so it's an opportunity for me to clear my head and not sit around with an empty mind but when I journal, it allows me to put the thoughts somewhere and feel that writing and brain connection that my mind and my heart and my, um, my body needs and my brain needs, and it helps me process. And so mentally, I choose to be still by journaling, and it really helps to get those thoughts out and clarify what these negative thoughts are and replacing them with positive thoughts. Emotionally. I'm really honest with my feelings, and for those who know me, uh, so I think sometimes they would rather I wasn't as honest, but it's just, it's so important for me to be honest with my feelings, you know, the good, bad, and all the ones that make me feel stress inside. And so I just, I think that's really important that when I can be emotionally honest with myself, then that's what I'm going to pour out to my friends, to my husband, to my kids, to my business partners, to um, clients that I work with and is an opportunity to then build for them this reciprocal emotional honesty. So ladies, if you're listening, I just wanna help you think of something. Considering our hormones and their impact on our emotional state is extremely significant. 
Um, I think they, there's a whole series on information around that, um, but I just think it's really important that when we're feeling a little off emotionally, it might have something to do with our hormones as well. In my younger years, I would ignore the negative emotions in hopes that they would go away. They did not. They actually grew. I eventually learned to welcome them and then surrender them, so I would not fuel them in other ways. I have come to believe that negative emotions are like the check engine light on the dashboard of a car or a smoke detector, both doing just that. They're warning me that something is wrong. So if you start to feel anxious in a situation, that's a check engine light. Anxiety might be that check engine light for you of what's going on behind the scenes. Or even um, anger might be a um, warning light on the dashboard that might show you that there's something else going on. And when we can get a handle on our emotions and when we can be still in the context of our emotions, then we can um, respond more effectively than, rather than react. I get that so much is going on in our world today and in our relationships and in our own personal stories. And I think in general, people tend to be a lot more reactive. And so I just implore you to take some time out and deal with your emotions and maybe get a coach, maybe get a counselor, maybe talk to a trusted friend, journal, find ways to, that work for you to be emotionally healthy. Another area is spiritually. Now, I know that as a follower of Christ, and I'm a Christian, so my spiritual um, being still will look different than yours, possibly. But I will just share what works for me and what, um, and for the, the, the listeners that also can relate as Christians, um, from a spiritual context, I spend my time in the Bible reading and learning what God wants me to do with the chaos in my heart and my mind. Let me say that again. I spend time in the Bible reading and learning what God wants me to do with the chaos in my heart and my mind. And so depending on what is going on in my story, I grow in faith and trust that God already knows and he will lead me to confess, forgive, surrender, or take physical action to reconcile with someone or something that is externally in my life. And so I journal during that time as well because I want to watch growth. I want to see answers to prayer. And that in return helps me stay still and be still. And this is a tricky one because I think a lot of us don't know how to do it. And it takes a lot of submission. It takes a lot of surrender. Um, and it takes a willing heart. This is what I was going to share. I allow the Word of God to do its work in me. Right? So the Word is allow. Allow requires us to submit and to surrender. It's to give permission to let God do what he wants to do in your story. I also want to add in this space that Psalm 4610 says, Be still and know that I am God. And I just want you to know that it's important to recognize that the be still part in, that it's referring to is telling the enemy, Satan, to be still. It's not necessarily us being physically still. It's a verse that is telling us that we have the power within us to quiet the enemy. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy our minds, our hearts, our story, and what God has been planting and growing in our hearts and in our stories. And so we have the opportunity and we have the power, we have the ability to tell the enemy to be still. So if that then 
um, is something that you can practice, acknowledging that in your space, when you're spiritually getting grounded and learning to be still, I really want to encourage you to embrace the fact that we have the power in Jesus Christ to silence the enemy. And as a result, it then allows you to be still in other areas of our lives. And that's a bonus. So several years ago, I made an interesting discovery in my journey of learning to be still. I did not like quiet places. Yep, I just said that. I did not like quiet places. And you're probably thinking, wait, how do you be still if you don't like quiet places? Yep, I was asking myself that same question several years ago because I felt like I couldn't find and I couldn't resonate with other folks about um, you know, being in a quiet place physically. So let me explain. So I don't like to go to cottages or sit by streams or really even take walks through the woods. Those places are way too quiet for me. I find myself getting agitated inside with the slightest thought of those places. This does not mean I do not like to be quiet or times of quietness or stillness or calm. I actually relish those moments. But I prefer to escape to busy cities where there's lots of people and the lights and the noise that they carry on in rhythm. And so, yes, feel free to laugh out loud. <laughs> I can't hear you. But here's why. I can hear so much better in those environments. And so for those who know me personally know that I love the concrete jungle. To me, I see it as noise canceling. It's a noise canceling experience for me. I have had many healing and creative moments in a city environment. It quiets me and inspires me at the same time and I feel safe. A cabin in the woods or by a quiet stream does the exact opposite. You see, I'm wired as an extrovert and I'm a big ideas girl and these ideas are rolling around in my head all day long. In fact, just getting to recording this podcast, I came up with six things I needed to jot on a piece of paper because I needed to get on with my, my task at hand, which was recording this podcast. Because this home is really quiet and I love it but the ideas just keep rolling. And so I need to be in an environment where the external noise is similar to what's going on in my head and my heart. And so I'm able to just be at peace and rest in the context of busy places, busy cities, um, when I am pursuing my own personal rest and quietness and calm on the inside. What can I say? I'm an extrovert. And I need people and the ideal surroundings for those times in my life when I need, especially when I need greater peace and stillness. And this pandemic has been really difficult for me in that because I've had to learn new ways of cultivating that peace and stillness within my heart. I have come to learn that my external surroundings used, they used to have, um, they used to negatively impact my internal space and they no longer have that control over me. And I believe the same can be true for you. So as the saying goes, it's a jungle out there, friends. My question is, what does your view look like? And is it filling you with peace, calm, quiet, and stillness, or doing the opposite? Just a couple questions for you to ponder as you continue on in your own journey, learning to be still. What do you need to do in order to be still? What are you willing to do to gain a deeper peace in your story? Well, 
Here's to growing forward and learning to be still because it's a jungle out there. Thank you for joining me. And I just want to keep um, encouraging you on your journey to be still. Please contact me through the website. Um, and I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to continue to unpack this with you if you need that. And um, yeah, and perhaps uh, you'll end up on my um, podcast where we can kind of discuss maybe other ideas of what can help you be still and how you might want to encourage other people as well. Have a blessed day. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Growing Forward Together. My name is Kenita Skripsma and I'm the founder and CEO of SEMA Global Consulting. And you can find out more about what we do to promote inclusion and a variety of other things at the website www.semaglobalconsulting.com. Well, today's topic is definitely directed to something really heavy that's going on in our culture today, and that is racism. The title of this podcast is I Am Not Black. I want you to know a little disclaimer though. <clears throat> this podcast is not only directed to white people. I have to state that clearly because I know many people who will take this personally and possibly tune out and might not muster up the courage to talk honestly about this issue. If you are taking this personally and don't know what to do, I invite you into a conversation so we can hear each other more clearly. I speak of this to all who are wondering how to support those who face the issue of racism or actually any other ism as well. And I hope that's you. Do you want to learn how to support others that are different than you? Well, then please be my guest today. And for those who don't know me personally, you might be thinking that I'm trying to distract from the real issue at hand, which is the police brutality against the black community. I assure you, I am not. I believe that I am called to be a bridge of understanding for those who struggle to understand. I am standing with my black brothers and sisters in solidarity against racism, inequality, and inequity in the way that I know how. Please understand, this is not about, I am not black, so don't forget me, or I experience racism too as an Indian woman. This is about speaking the truth in love to those who might be hard of hearing about what the racial climate is in this country. You'll also find the written blog at my website and you'll be able to um, sign up to get, subscribe to get the podcast and the blog into your own email. And you will also find this bod, blog uh, and podcast at Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. So let's get going. In light of the civil crisis in this country and around the world, I have found myself to be quite introspective these days. I'm wondering if these are the end times. I'm wondering how my black brothers and sisters are doing. I'm wondering if ignorance about the plight of black people in America will ever go away. And I'm also wondering what can I do to stay sane and yet keep educating and sharing from a different perspective as support for those who are at the center of this civil crisis. I am not black. If you're still with me, I thank you. And I need to say this, all lives matter. However, 
the all is not accurate if black lives don't matter as well, especially here in the US. Why does it matter for me to share a post like this? Well, because the focus continues to be on black and brown lives. And since I am brown and of East Indian descent, I'm also passionate about educating those around me. And I thought I would take a stand for this in my own way. You see, in the Indian culture, for years, for generations, there's been an issue with people with darker skin, what part of the country they're from, what part of the caste system they're from. And so this really is a personal issue. And I would like to take a stand to be with my black brothers and sisters. I can't be silent. The sad truth is so many of us have been silent. Although posting on social media might help you break the silence, many of us are staying silent in our personal relationships where the crisis is hitting close to home. How do I know? I'm experiencing it and so are my dear black friends. Have you been silent? What conversations do you need to have with people in your story? Wondering where to start? Let's connect. I am not black. Silence is complicit. It means you're guilty or maybe irresponsible. Guilty would suggest a malicious intent, while ignorance would suggest irresponsibility. Which one are you? Only you can answer that question. Are you willing to keep learning? Then maybe it's time to get your skin in the game. There's another blog titled Skin in the Game at my website, and it's also in my podcast, so I really encourage you to go check that out as well. So yes, racism is alive and well in my story, but you see, I'm not black, and some people think I don't understand, but I do. I might not understand the way black people are being treated in this country and how the narrative began over 400 years ago, but I do understand racism. In my story, it's disguised by culture, wiring, personalities, styles, etc. Please consider what I'm saying because when we can identify with something personally, it can be a catalyst to move us toward change. In my case, it shows up as a culturalism. Years ago, when I realized I had assimilated so much into this Western culture that I was losing sight of who I was created to be, I paused and took some deep dives into my cultural, my Eastern culture to discover, celebrate, and feed my roots. Sadly, in a lot of my relationships, it was received with pushback and ignoring. If you know me personally, I don't give up easily. I'm not stubborn, I surrender. I take a step back from the situation and look for other angles by which to pursue truth and growth forward. As of late, Voicing hard truths has been all too common for me. Hey, are you still with me? We are in this together, right? My heart breaks to even have to ask that question. I had an alarming exchange on social media recently and I will try to capture it here to give you an example of what it feels like to be a victim of a microaggression, something our black brothers and sisters are all too familiar with in this country. A friend of color said that they were exhausted emotionally from the civil unrest and the racism in this country and was thankful for the coffee angels that brought him coffee 
in the, brought him love in the form of coffee. I responded with, that's very precious. Any chance you could send some angels over to my house? You see, my heart continues to feel heavy for all the brokenness in our communities, and I stand and I kneel in solidarity for my black brothers and sisters. It just goes that much deeper. Well, later that day, a white woman responded to that thread, and she said, I will bring you coffee if you're black. My response, I'm East Indian, and I'm devastated by all that's going into the, in this country, and I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with my black brothers and sisters, and as a result, I'm also emotionally spent. Now, you're right, I didn't owe her an explanation, but sometimes our minds get the better of us, and we keep typing. And I also wanted to do my part in trying to make change happen. What was her response? She said this, well, I am currently only serving black people. I don't know how you feel about that, but for me, I'm still chewing on it and I'm still trying to get a handle on the impact of those statements, but I wanna make a spin and I wanna make it a positive outcome and help other people to learn to respond rather than react. So, as you show support to black people in your communities, ask yourself if you're really about being an anti-racist or are you just showing support for what you think is the issue of the day? If it is the latter, you will go back to old patterns and this crisis will have failed to get your attention. C.S. Lewis says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Are you ready to implement action so you can be part of the solution and not the problem when it comes to racism or simply dealing with people who are different than you? Then I have 10 points or 10 action steps that you can take right as soon as you're done listening to this podcast or reading the blog. Number one, stand with us, not just near us, not just around us, but with us. Number two, don't just hear us, listen. That's the only time you should be silent is when you're listening. And remember, listen and silent have the same letters. Number three, please don't push back or criticize, minimize, or disregard us. We have value. Number four, realize that you can't give what you don't have, such as compassion, acceptance, strength, grace, I know that you believe that we are image bearers of God, but as number five says, please don't force us to assimilate to your way of expressing our faith or doing life. Number six, don't use unity as a band-aid. Number seven, stand in the gap with the true heart of reconciliation before things can get corrected. Number eight, learn to grow forward together. Don't know what that means? Let's connect. Number nine, understand your own cultural bent. You can find more about that at my website and shoot me an email, we can chat. Number 10, please, please, please do not confuse silence with peace. All right, I would love for you to connect. Here's why. You might be able to get land a spot on my podcast, Growing Forward Together, because I will be doing some interviews going forward 
and um, would love to hear your perspective and if it's a way that we can encourage other people and band together to support, love, equip, encourage others to seek solutions to grow forward, then I would love to have you on my podcast. Please continue to do your personal work. Please continue to learn and please connect. I would love to hear from you. Again, the website is www.semaglobalconsulting.com. You can reach me through the contact page. You can um, subscribe to the blog at the website. And so then you'll get the new ones into your uh, email inbox. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, here's to growing forward together. Be blessed. and I am the founder and CEO of SEMA Global Consulting. We are passionate about promoting inclusion and so to find out more about what we do, please visit our website at semaglobalconsulting.com. I would love for you to shoot me an email so we can connect. So today's topic is titled, Do Unto Others or Not. So you know the saying, do unto others as you would like them to do to you? It's harmless and a great motto to live by, right? In fact, it must be called the golden rule for a reason. But what if I told you that it could also be harmful? That it could cause greater misunderstanding and division in your relationships? Would you keep doing unto others as you would want them to do to you? Well, you might. And it's not bad in and of itself. But let me give you another perspective. Can you guess what it is? I'll tell you. It's called the Platinum Rule. Yes, that's a thing. Truth be told, I was describing this concept to a friend and colleague, and she told me that it had this name. The Platinum Rule is, do unto others as they would have you do to them. In most cases, the Golden Rule is a great way to start a friendship or relationship or an association with someone But the platinum rule might actually help you keep that relationship growing forward in a healthier way for the long haul. The golden rule allows us to feel better about ourselves, so that focuses on us, while the platinum rule helps us make a difference in someone else's life because we're putting their needs ahead of ours. I believe it shows them that we see them, we hear them, and we prove to be more genuine in our efforts of coming alongside them, which is also known as being an ally with them as they face their storm or go through their story in their own way. Are you someone who wants to be more inclusive and do better when it comes to living in community? Then I would implore you to consider implementing the Platinum Rule. You don't have to get rid of the Golden Rule altogether. I mean, please don't get rid of it. But please consider another road, another pathway to build relationships and live into authenticity and allowing them to be authentic as well. And you're probably wondering, well, what if I do the platinum rule? How will it help me? Okay, I'll tell you. It will help you grow in understanding cultures other than your own. It will help you grow in empathy and become an effective ally 
It will also help you live into your desire to love your neighbor. See, culture is such a broad term, isn't it? I love it because it's something that we all have in common, even though they're lived out differently. I believe culture is something that unites us as strong as it divides us. It's like the water we're swimming in, metaphorically speaking, of course. It's like we're all swimming in the same water as different fish. Uh, how's that even possible? Aren't there differences between saltwater fish and the fish that live in what we in the Midwest call unsalted lakes? Yes, there are plenty of differences. And so maybe that's where the metaphor ends, because it really is different with humans. We can live differently in this community, in our towns, in our relationships. Humans, we are free from a variety of countries, narratives, experiences, and people groups, and yet we come together in one country, one place. And for me, it's here in the USA, where I currently reside with my family. As a third culture adult, I married into a culture opposite and extremely different to my birth culture and to my upbringing, racially and culturally. We have three biological sons who couldn't be more different from each other, and yet they were raised in the same family in our blended culture of Dutch and East Indian. We did teach them to do unto others as they would want others to do to them, but with a twist. We incorporated the importance of culture. When it came to the original meaning of that statement, we taught our kids to respect, be kind, friendly, supportive, and empathetic, because we wanted them to learn the golden rule. But sadly, what I have learned culturally as a foreigner in this country is that when someone does to others as they would want done to them, it often causes misunderstanding and forces the different person or the other person to either assimilate or continue to feel disconnected as though they don't fit or belong. Are you still with me? The different person might possibly assimilate to the point of losing sight of who they were created to be. How do I know? That was me several years ago. What did I do about it? I spoke up. Was I heard? No, not often. I understand that culture change takes time. But how will we ever make an impact on a systemic level if we don't know or if we don't know how or aren't willing to make the changes in our daily relationships? For years I have been struggling with that mindset. Systemic racism is real. We have some severe problems in this country and probably around the world when it comes to systemic issues. But I'm here in the U.S. and I just want to address that. You know, it is a difficult thing to live into systemically, but I got to be honest with you. If we are not making the difference with the relationships that we have right in front of us, we're never going to be able to attack it from a systemic level. So maybe the parts do equal the whole. The work that we do with each other will eventually impact what happens at a systemic level. Now I get some people are called very intentionally to, to attack those problems at a systemic level and I say more power to you, we're standing with you. But some of us need to be more intentional 
elbow to elbow, relationship to relationship. Let's not miss what's in front of us for what's out there. So as my husband and I learned and sometimes fought through our cultural differences, we began teaching our children various aspects of those differences so they would be equipped well. We had conversations with friends and countless couples we mentored, sharing our understandings with them so they too would be better equipped to handle the challenges they faced. We saw it as a way of passing the baton of understanding culture so that relationships grew in unity and didn't foster division. Some were eager to listen and implement, while others listened and made excuses and pushed back. Hmm. Who knows? Maybe it was a cultural thing. Pun intended. We didn't let that stop us, though. We kept learning and sharing. So, are you ready to move up from golden to platinum? Well, here are four simple steps that will help you understand more and grow unity rather than foster division in your relationships. Step one, keep learning. Here are a couple questions that you might be able to answer. What is in your culture that is not allowing you to achieve unity in your relationship? What is in their culture that might be impacting how they receive your message? Keep learning. Step two, take a step back and put grace in the space. What do you need to learn about where they are coming from? Not necessarily ethnically, but perhaps their perspective or position on a subject is extremely different than yours. Take a step back, put grace in the space, and listen. Could they be facing some challenges in their story right now? Maybe they need a little extra grace? Remember, you can't give what you don't have. Number three, be teachable. What common ground do you have in cultures with that other person? Maybe family culture, ethnicity, employment culture. Find some common ground. Ask yourself if you get defensive when the words race or culture come into a conversation. Do you react or respond? Please, stay teachable. And step four. This actually is a really, really important one. Look for what unites you. You see, you might be from different races and the same culture, or the same culture and different race, or, actually I just repeated myself, I'm sorry, <laughs> or the same race and different cultures, or the same race and same culture, or different races and different cultures. But there is always something within those cultural lanes that will help you discover what unifies you. Oh, trust me, living multiculturally for over 45 years of my life has taught me that. For more on that, how to find what unites you, I would encourage you to contact me at info at zimaglobalconsulting.com and I will share with you our resources that will help equip you in your journey. You can also email us through the website, seemagobalconsulting.com, and we will get in touch with each other. I used to get very upset when friends or family didn't see me for me, and then I learned that they were doing unto others, and they didn't see anything wrong with it when it came to a cultural 
angle. And in some cases, some people were ignorant of the cultural differences. Maybe they didn't want to see them. Maybe they just wanted to assume. In fact, I had actually someone tell me one time, because I'm married to a white man, I'm not going to have any issues in this world. And because I'm married to a white man, perhaps I'm also white. And then the kicker of all kickers, I remember when I first came to this country, I was told very clearly, well, because you've married into the Dutch culture, you are now also Dutch. Yep, I've done a lot of forgiveness work on my journey. See, so their intention perhaps was doing unto others in a good way, while my reception of that was a lack of understanding and being forced to assimilate. Don't get me wrong, I was very grateful for their efforts, but those efforts didn't always match their words and beliefs, and I didn't feel heard. Here's an example of that, real briefly. Recently, I needed some help in the home, and I was recovering from surgery. And a friend of mine uh, called me up and wanted to come over to do a task, help us clean one of the rooms. And she walked in the door, and the first thing she said was, before I get to work, I want to sit and have a cup of tea with you, because I know that's what your heart needs right now. Granted, I never told her that's what my heart needed, although it was screaming for relationship time. But she took the time to understand where I was coming from. She took the time to find out what my needs were. And then she took the time to allow herself to do for me what I needed relationally and then stepped into the task that she is really, really good at. I felt heard. I felt listened to. I felt seen. That was such a blessing. Just a little twist on doing the golden rule, but then making it the platinum rule. As I implemented those four lessons, those four steps, as I mentioned earlier, I experienced a deeper peace in myself, a readiness to forgive and be gracious, and a technique that propelled me forward in my own story and strengthened me for this arduous road of being different. So what were those steps again? Step one, keep learning. Step two, put grace in the space. Step three, be teachable. Step four, look for what unites you. So the next time you want to just live into the golden rule instead of genuinely coming along someone different than yourself, ask yourself if what you are doing is promoting inclusion or exclusion. It might look like inclusion on the outside, but on the inside, that person might be feeling excluded all over again. Change it up. Embrace the platinum rule and ask what might be most useful to them. And just like culture, any rule has the potential to unite as strong as it does divide. So choose wisely. I look forward to hearing from you. And here's to growing forward together. Have a blessed day.